Hey y'all, welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is volume 30. As you can probably hear, I'm a little bit under the weather. I flew all the way across the country to Seattle, Washington uh, last Thursday to interview Kevin Durant and Brianna Stewart, uh, two of the best basketball players on the planet. And while I was in Seattle, it was cold and rainy and those are very long flights and uh, I had a bunch of beers after the Warriors-Kings game on Friday night, so some of this could be self-inflicted. I don't know, but I came home with a really froggy voice and a head full of yucky stuff. So working through that, so bear with me. Uh, we have an amazing show in show 30. Uh, what an honor to get to interview Adrian Peterson, one of the greatest NFL football players of all time. And a guy that I've long admired. I've always loved his bullish running style. And I get into that with him in this interview. I wish I could have had more time with all day. He was gracious enough to join me after practice one day and spend, what, Travis, maybe 20 minutes, something like that. Uh, He was with us for 24 minutes. 24 minutes. Um, I appreciate that because I was supposed to only take 15 (laughs) and – uh, he was just really insightful about a lot of things, but there was so much more that I wanted to get to. So hopefully someday maybe we'll be able to hit him up and get a second part of this. But I know you'll find it to be fascinating. He's a really interesting dude, and he's even more interesting to me now that I had that 24 minutes with him than he was before. And you're going to love it. So I can't wait for you guys to hear my uh, my wide-ranging interview here with Adrian Peterson. But before we get to my man all day, we got to talk bacon. Yes, bacon. Y'all know the score. Guess what, bacon lovers? With every single pack of Smithfield bacon you purchase, you can enter for a chance to win bacon for life. You heard me right, bacon for life. All the slow smoke, crispy happiness you can handle, you wake up, boom, bacon. Need lunch during the big game? Bacon. For dinner? Bedtime snack, any time of the day, that's right, bacon. All day, every day, for the rest of your life. You can baconify anything you want. Maybe some s'mores. Maybe you put bacon on your pancakes. I was with Eric Almarola, who drives in NASCAR, actually for Smithfield. He and I were doing a, a joint thing for Smithfield. And Eric said what he loves to do is put bacon on his ice cream. He cooks bacon, chops it up, and puts it on his ice cream. Amazing. There's no gimmicks here, no tricks, just a whole bunch of Smithfield bacon for life and for the win. The chance to win it now is yours. Look for specially marked packages of Smithfield bacon in stores or visit smithfield.com slash bacon for life for details. Flavor hails from Smithfield. There's no purchase necessary here, guys. This opportunity ends December 31st, 2018. Go to smithfield.com slash bacon for life to enter and for free entry instructions. Now, let's go hang out with my man Adrian Peterson. Like I say, he just got off the practice field. All right, it's an honor to chat with a legend, first ballot Hall of Famer for sure, Uh, my man Adrian Peterson, Washington Redskins running back. All right, brother, let's get right after it. What have you proven already this season? I think that just the fact that, um, you know, I still have what it takes to be you know, a top-notch player in this league. And I think I've proven that here in the past few weeks. In what ways did doubt 
from others drive you this off season and entering this year? Um, you know, I feel like in any type of circumstances you face, you know, it does. It matters, of course, what you believe um, about yourself. But then when you have people that doubt you as well, and it, it's 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 something that you hear, you see. That's just kind of even more motivation to uh, to show people that hey, you know, I still can do this. I still can do that. Your opinions and your thoughts on me, you know, doesn't doesn't make or shake me. You know, so that's like the message that I try to um, give out there to everyone that that's a follower of me and, you know, people that's experiencing the same thing. You know, don't let anyone, you know, dictate your future by their words or what they think. You know, no matter what type of platform they have, um, you know, you just continue to believe in yourself, continue to work and your works will show. What's your message to anyone who thinks retirement is coming soon? (laughs) <laughs> think again <laughs> <laughs> i love it think again. what's your signature nfl moment adrian my signature nfl moment oh that's a good one um i'm gonna make you think today brother this ain't the normal interview <laughs> let me see if i have one um i would say um playing 2009 you know just that season playing with brett Favre and uh you know percy harvin but barbarian Bobby Wade, just the talent that we had on our offense and making it to the NFC Championship game and that whole that whole entire experience. Um, I would say that was the signature, you know, season for me. And that game kind of solidified um, that season for us. And, you know, I'm sure you watched that game and, and know how that went down. But yep. just to be able to be a part of that, and have that experience and come so close and, and know in reality that we kind of we beat ourselves in that game. And, and you know, and that's how close we were to a super, to playing a Super Bowl. I actually feel like the NFC Championship game that year was a Super Bowl. Um, but, yeah, I would say that was my signature moment in the NFC Championship game. Why do you feel like that game was the Super Bowl? Quite frankly, just in my honest opinion, my opinion, <laughs> um, the, the AFC was kind of, you know, it really, it really wasn't as strong that year, in my opinion. Um, and then the coach, um, they were good. They had Peyton Manning. Don't get me wrong. They had, you know, great talent. But the NFC that year was, you know, I, I just felt like that the NFC conference had the Super Bowl champ that year, mm-hmm. just based on the, the team performance from the NFC compared to the AFC. Um, you know. The Colts finally got past the Patriots. I felt like in the Super Bowl, the Patriots would have been a harder opponent to face um, going up against the NFC team, whether it was you know us or the Saints. Um, so yeah, you know, I just felt like um, you know the we both had pretty decent. Well, we had a really good running attack. Um, New Orleans running attack was was pretty decent as well. But then again, you got Drew Brees and all the weapons that he had. The defense was playing outstanding as well. I don't. I just don't feel like the Colts would have been able to stand up and obviously they didn't stand up to New Orleans they ended up winning the Super Bowl and uh, you look on paper when it comes to the NFC Championship game you'd be like which team won you would 10 out of 10 people will, would have picked the Vikings um, <laughs> based on numbers you know but we all know how that <laughs> how everything went down in that game so that's why I sit here with confidence and say you know that was our year to win the Super Bowl in the NFC um, division that you championship mean- was going to come from that division you mentioned playing with Favre. What was the impact when he walked into that locker room? What was it like playing with him? 
<sighs> it was unique. It was different, you know, because he was an older player, so they say, and you know, obviously he had the best year of his career at his oldest age. But it was just a different feel. You know, you had got a guy that's a Hall of Fame guy that's been in the league for close twenty years at that point and he, he's coming in. There's not nothing there's nothing he doesn't know. He can miss training camp every training camp OTAs and he's he'll be able to come in and bam, pick it up and, and, and get going like he hasn't missed a beat. And, you know, that's what he brought when he came in. You know, he was the hardest working guy out there. And not only that, just his personality. You know, he conversed with the players. My locker was right next to his. So I had the, you know, good experience of just being there and watching him and seeing how he moved around and just kind of getting a, a, a feel for breath of the, the guy outside of the, you know, the football legend that I knew. And man, when I tell you, he was so just down to earth and just a genuine guy that can walk in any building and people like him. Um, and when you have that at the quarterback position and him being who he is, you know, it was just like, it was, it was magical. <laughs> it really was. We threw a pass so hard one day. Um, and I, I knew the ball wasn't coming to me. I had like a four by four check down to the right side. And, um, he threw a pass that I felt like I could have reached out. I would have, I would have had to extend out to my left and really catch it. But I realized it wasn't for me. And when I tell you that ball was zipped by my head so fast, and that was the first and only time I've ever heard wind <laughs> pass by my ear when a ball was thrown, I was like, man, they talking me he don't got it. This guy has a rocket for him still. Who caught that ball? Do you remember? Uh, I think it was Bernard Barron. Did he regret <laughs> Did he regret catching that ball? <laughs> I think at that point he was kind of used to it. Um, but – for me, it was just a, a different experience because that's the first time I had ever experienced anything like that. And it was just like, wow, you know, still at his age, he was able to produce like he's producing. This was in practice, you know. When did you know you were great? When did I know? Yeah. What age? <laughs> I would say when I was when I was young, um, probably around about seven or eight. I kind of I, I realized then that I guess you can call it great, but you know, I looked at it as just being you know, gifted with the things that I was able to do. Same things you guys have seen me do um, in the NFL over my career, I did those same things. Those same things in, in the little league, in middle school, you know, just going throughout my career of playing football. So at a young age, I, I had a confidence that um, if I outworked everybody with the talent that I had, then, I, you know, I would be one of the best to ever come, the best to ever, ever play. Where do you think you rank on that list? Uh, you know, I feel like I have a lot of work to do before I can sit there and really answer that question. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as of now, I'm just continuing to press forward and, and work, working towards winning a championship and just being, you know, just continue to be using this gift God gave me to, to be great throughout that time as well. You're discussing the things that we see you do in the NFL and how you've always done that. How did you develop that iconic bullish running style? Because when you run the ball, you don't. Nobody else looks like you, man. You got a whole different thing going on than anybody else. How did you develop that? When I first started playing little league, my dad. Um, I don't know. I, I I felt like I've always been like aggressive, but that was my first time like putting pads on and playing like tackle football. When you got a helmet on, it's different playing throw up tackle in the backyard. And, you know, I did that obviously before um, playing organized football. But um, it was one play. I think what well, he felt like I I wasn't as aggressive as he, he I thought he thought I should be. So his idea was 
he put me on the five-yard line, um, laying down on my back, and then he put another player <laughs> on the 10-yard line, laying down on his back. And he said, okay, I'm going to uh, hike the ball on my, on my sound. I'm going to hike the ball. You guys hop up, and I'm going to toss you the ball, Adrian. And I want you to run towards the guy and just hold the ball tight, protect yourself. Don't lower your shoulders. So, obviously, the guy was going to have the advantage of having a low shoulder pad level on me and be able to put a good hit on me. So, bam, once that happened, in my mind, it clicked that, hey, I don't ever want that to happen again. Mm -hmm. I feel that way. I want to be the one that delivers the blow. So, that's been my mentality, you know, since I was young, was to be aggressive, um, you know, take the fight to the defender, and, you know, you have better chances that way than stopping your feet or, you know, not being physical. Um, Because, you know, guys read that, guys see that, coaches see that, and then they'll take a take advantage of it. So I, I so I always kind of played with that mindset, you know, through middle school, in my eighth grade year, then played my seventh grade year, and then high school for the, the two and a half years I played. But um, my uncle played at the – my uncle's name is Chris Smith, and um, he played at the University of Texas. And at that time they had uh, – I remember seeing Priest Holmes and Ricky Williams back there together, and that was a pretty heck of a combination. Bad you know? dudes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And then um, I remember when it – when Ricky had his Heisman Trophy year. So I used to be able to go up to the spring games and, and catch some games from time to time. I was blessed to see that. And the way Ricky Williams ran the ball, <laughs> it was like that was me. You know, like that's how I picture myself being able to do it on a college level. So Ricky Williams was a guy that I looked at that uh, just made me even, you know, hungrier and, you know, um, grindier when it comes to how you run the ball. You know, because obviously you watch Ricky Williams in high school. He was an animal. You know, he was physical, he was fast, uh, elusive. You know, he was he was a heck of a running back to be able to watch. You ever had the opportunity to tell him that personally? No, no, I haven't. I haven't had the opportunity to do that. But uh, I, I met him once or twice, and it was just kind of brief. Maybe I was just kind of, you know, being a fan at that time as well. But if I seen him again, I I would definitely share some of those stories with him. You noted seeing when that's when you were in high school in East Texas, Palestine, right? Mm-hmm. Two yeah, high school Palestine. seasons, dude. You rushed for five thousand yards. That is beyond mm-hmm. comprehension. I cannot fathom the hysteria surrounding you at that time. Describe it. <laughs> it was um, man, you know, it was it was a dream come true. It was, it really was because I crossed over from. A Crosstown school, I left Palestine High School, I mean, Palestine District, which is the school I grew up in. And my seventh grade year, I got into some trouble, so I went over to the Crosstown School. So I was over there my eighth grade year and um, my freshman year. And then I transferred over again my sophomore year and started off in junior varsity. And then my junior and senior year, you know, got back on onto varsity. But for me, how everything kind of transpired for me, it was like, wow. When I look back now, it was just like it was meant to be. And, you know, I just remember conversations I had with my mom, my dad, and the things I was going through in my life personally during that time. So I look back now, it's like, wow. You know, just once I really got on track, everything just kind of took off for me. So I transferred from the Westwood, the Crosstown School, back to Palestine. And we had this coach from West Orange Star who was there. And it was a coach, a defensive coach. His name was Jeff Harrell. As um, he was a defensive coordinator, so um, I kind of had bumped heads with the coach at Westwood, and you know I figured the coaches talked. So you know I used to come out there on JV, 
and we went against the starting varsity defense. And, you know, me and one of my other guys, <laughs> he we, we just ripped through the defense. <laughs> we ripped through the defense. But Coach will never put me up on varsity for whatever reason. So for me, it was a struggle because it was like, hey, obviously, clearly I'm the most talented guy out here, and you're still holding me back, keeping me back. So it was just frustration there. And uh, <clears throat> I remember Jeff Harrell, the defense coordinator, always saying little things to me that kind of kept me motivated and just kept me, you know, pressing forward. So coming to that summer of the junior year, um, I got back on track. Um, I actually didn't go to the first couple of days of, uh, you know, training camp uh, for uh, two or days. I didn't really, I didn't go. My dad was incarcerated. And I was just kind of like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to play football this year. So I remember getting a phone call and uh, my stepdad waking me up. It was like 8 o'clock in the morning. He was like, hey, your dad is on the phone. So I'm like, get on the phone my dad. And he's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm resting. Shouldn't you be, you know, up getting ready to go to the camp? I'm like, no, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't really know if I'm going to, you know, play ball this year. He was like, man, if I called up there to that high school and they tell me you haven't been up there to report, when I see you, there's going to be issues. <laughs> so I, I got up. Got went to, went into training camp. Me, um, I mean, um, two days, and you know, I, I had to catch back up and work for my position, but end up winning the starting position. And uh, my first game of the year, fast forward, our first game of the year, we played Huntsville, and Coach, I think his name is Coach Thomas. He left Palestine and he went to Huntsville, and Jeff Harrell took over as a head coach of Palestine, uh, Palestine High School. So he played those guys the first game, and. I ran for 305 yards, six touchdowns, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then that's when it just took off. From there, things just took off. You know, I had, obviously I had um, a series of, of good games. And, you know, before the season was over, I was rated like the number one player of the country. And that, you know, was from my, my junior year to my senior year. And, uh, yeah, my it just kind of just took off from that point on. And there are opponents yeah. – who are asking you for your autograph after games. What yeah. is that like yeah. when you're – look, man, you're 17 years old, right? You're 17 years old. You've just gone for 300 against these guys, and they're lined up waiting to, to ask you to get an autograph. <laughs> it kind of picked up as, as the season progressed. Um, but, you know, there was a few guys that knew and heard about me because of track. You know, I, you know track was like one of my passions as well. Um, but as the season progressed, oh, yeah, it was definitely fans and, and players wanting signatures and pictures and stuff like that. You noted that moment that your dad calls you from jail, and he says, young man, you need to get your ass to practice now, right now. Yeah, That's much. a moment, Adrian. Without that moment, <laughs> yeah. who knows who or where you are? What are a few of those moments for you in your life that shaped you the most? Uh, you know, my um, going back to my eighth grade year, I had gotten some trouble my seventh grade year my first time. Um, trying marijuana was my seventh grade year at school, and I don't know what I was thinking, but uh, that was the first and only time I had ever, you know, tried it, and 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 never touched it again in high school, you know. Um, but that one decision cost me my seventh grade year. Um, I had to go to a alternative school, but then that opportunity presented something different as well, you know. I was like, you know what? Let me let me switch things up. My sixth grade year, my the summer going into my seventh grade year is when my dad got incarcerated. Okay, so you know I get suspended my seventh grade year, and after that year, I'm like, hey, mom, you know I'm thinking about going to Westwood and just kind of switching things up, you know, change the scenery. 
So I remember doing that, and, you know, everything went well. Got on track. Um, you know, I wasn't living in the district, but I was staying at a friend house, and it was kind of one of those situations, you know. You know, just started, got back on track with more of my grades, just the crowd I was hanging around, and, you know, football was going well, too. We were undefeated. I kind of fast-forward through the season, and we made it to the district championship game. And i never forget the week that Monday, you know, coming in, and, uh, you know, they called me down to the principal's office. My coach was there, and uh, they were like, well, we got a call from the UIL. And, you know, someone has complained that this student isn't living in the district. You know, so it was like, so what does this mean? You know, like, what, you're not going to be able to play ball. You know, you might have to forfeit the games. You're not. You're for sure not going to be able to play this weekend in different championship games. So for me, just going through that whole experience, it was like, wow. You know, it really opened my eyes and showed me a lot. You know, because it's not like we were a, a big city like Houston. You know, Palestine, Palestine shouldn't even have two high schools, but it did. You know, we're like sixteen thousand people, but it just opened my eyes to like, you know. This is a real, you know, this this is big. This sport is big, you know, that they would call on an eighth grader and keep them from playing in the district championship game. And then also it, it was like, okay, well, you if you really truly realize the talent guy has blessed you with, then, you know, that people are going to be able to see that talent. And, you know, people are not all about, you know, you're good. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't call and, and report uh, a player just because I want to keep them out of that game. But that's just my personality. So it kind of showed me how the world could be, you know. So they helped me just get through the process of, you know, high school and and high and, and college and things and just things I've dealt with in my life. Uh, you know, it's just like, hey, it's the way of the world. It's all about how you respond. It's readily obvious okay. to me how important your faith is to you. Anybody who follows mm-hmm. you on social media can see mm-hmm. that. Your mm-hmm. your profile line on your social media is faith of a mustard seed. Mm-hmm. I want to know why that verse is important to you. Uh, because like when you really think about it, when you really truly think about it, it's like the faith of a mustard seed. And you realize how small that is. And you realize that, you know, and I know it's going to be taken out of context for some people, but in the scriptures it says, have the faith of a mustard seed. You can say upon this mountain to be moved and it will move. You know, it is, but it goes to show like the power of, of God and the gift that we have within ourselves that a lot of people go a lifetime without realizing. You know, and it, it's so simple and cliche for me. Um, and it's just like, wow, you know, like I haven't even perfected it. You can't perfect it, but there's, there's so much you can do when you just believe in Christ and you continue to press forward. You know, it's like if you have a lot of things that you want to accomplish in life and you don't know which direction you want to go, then just take a shot and throw it all on the wall and take a leap of faith and believe. And now you got to put in work with that as well to see results. But, you know, it might take you the route of going through, you know, a junior college for two years and then getting an opportunity to walk on, not get a scholarship, walk on, for you know a university, a Division One university, you know you might get, you might not, you might go undrafted after you play those three years, but you continue to press forward, continue to have faith, continue to believe that hey, 
I'm going to play in the NFL. I'm going to be able to accomplish this. And this this is applied to every everything, not just football and sports, but just, you know, businesses that you want to go after, whatever it is that you desire, you know. So you keep pressing forward. You get picked up undrafted. You make the team because of the work that you have put in, you know. And then two years later, you sign a $20 million contract, you know. So that's, like, that's what faith can do for just anyone in general in any direction that they want to go in, you know. And for me, going through the things I've been through in my life and knowing that by faith, having faith, and I know my faith isn't perfect, but having faith and getting back on track when I got derailed or hey, ask for forgiveness and, and continue to press forward instead of staying trapped and, you know, in, in, in guilt as far as, oh, well, I'm, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, just continue to get back on track, put my best foot forward, but ultimately having faith and believing and putting the work in and what I want to accomplish has got me through life and, and where I'm at now, you know. So that's why it's so important because a lot of people don't realize it or they give up on it, you know. So for me, have the faith of a, a muscle seed. It takes that little amount of faith to be able to accomplish greatness, you know. Just a muscle seed, you can accomplish greatness with just a muscle seed of faith. Just imagine if you're able to tap into it and, you know, more than what's the seed, you know. <laughs> what about a woman in the seed of faith, you know? Um, so, yeah, that's why it's, it's, it's important to me. Well, those words are going to matter to somebody listening. I can tell you that, brother. And I appreciate the perspective. I appreciate the time. Congratulations on a great year and a Hall of Fame career. I appreciate you. It's an honor to chat with you, brother. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time as well. I told you guys you were going to love it. Uh, we certainly did. It was really fulfilling for Travis and for me. And, and Travis and I really need to try hard to get Adrian on for a second half of that. I loved, I loved the, him talking about Brett Favre's arm and how it's the first time he's ever heard a football. That was funny. And I can't imagine trying to catch one of those passes. It would probably look like Napoleon Dynamite, uh, trying to snag one of Uncle Rico's bombs, but, You'd have a broken finger if you tried to catch a thing. There's Brett no Favre's. question. No question. Either a broken finger or they used to say about John Elway with, uh, with, I think it was Rod Smith and who were those other awesome wide receivers that Ed McCaffrey Elway was throwing to back in the late eighties. Nah. Well, I guess he did throw to, to McCaffrey, Ed McCaffrey, but I was thinking about like the drive. Um, uh, wasn't one of them called named Mark Jackson, I think. But those guys used to talk about how he would leave a cross on their chests. Well, don't forget, those guys were wearing shoulder pads. So that's saying something. Um, yeah, that's how it would be. I'd either break a hand or a finger or uh, maybe even a sternum if I tried to catch one of Favre's passes. But I love that. But by far the most revealing part of that interview, without question to me, was the fact that here's this guy who is a first ballot Hall of Famer. The window is five years post-retirement. When you're done playing actively, you become eligible for the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, five years later. Adrian Peterson will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. You're talking about a guy who is a former league MVP, who is top ten all-time in rushing yards, who was the standard by which all others were measured for some time. And he almost didn't play. 
you know, he's a 16 year old young man and he's not interested in going to practice and his father finds out about it from jail, from prison and calls up his son and says, get your butt to practice. You're special. You are special at this and it can give you a better life. And fortunately, we've all been the benefactors of seeing him perform because I love that bullish running style. I just love it. And it was fun to learn how it, where it came from back to his dad. Uh, Hey, here's this ball. You two run into each other, and let's see what happens. I just love all that stuff, man. And think about this. He had the season where he blew his knee out, came back, and did what he did. Like, that doesn't happen. Most athletes can't do that. Adrian Peterson no. makes it look. And now when people tear their ACL, we think they're going to come back and be greater because of what Adrian did. Not only that. You're right. I mean, he he certainly rewrote the definition of what an ACL tear was, the aftermath of it. But at the same time, you look at this season right now, Travis, people thought he was done. People said he was done. Well, he has been tearing it up for the Washington Redskins this year. He's one of those athletes you just don't you don't tell him he can't do something. No, no. Total freak, man. Total freak athletically. And, again, my hope is that we get another opportunity to chat with him because it was very fulfilling for, for both of us. And I'm not done. <laughs> I have more that I want to ask him. So, that was cool, and like I say, I, I spent my weekend in Seattle, Washington, interviewing Kevin Durant and Brianna Stewart, two of the best basketball players on the planet right now. I played horse with them, and that was really stupid. Uh, my jump shot has never been the strongest part of my game, but, man, I was I was balling. I was shooting well. I mean, I shot ball with KD for a long time before the interview began. And I was doing well. Well, then the cameras turned on after the interview when we were actually taping us playing horse. And Travis, I got, I don't know if it was stage fright, camera, the lights got too big for me. I'm not sure what, but that shot got tight, brother. Would Coach Saban be upset with you? Coach Saban would clown me so hard. Uh, Brianna and Kevin were giving me a pretty good time about it too. But there were so many enlightening moments while I was chatting with these two because it was kind of less about ball and more about their friendship and their as and, and and I love this. This meant so much to me that they said this to me that their success on the court really gave them self confidence in life. That because they've both been so successful on the basketball floor, that it that it infused them with self confidence as human beings. And that I feel like that is so true. That is the case in my life, certainly. When I am the most confident me as a human being when I'm proud of what I'm doing professionally. And I've always said, I've said for years, I don't want this job to define me as a man. But as a man, we, I think, I think a lot of guys really struggle with not letting their profession become their identity. I go round and round about that. Um, and one thing that I learned during the interview, I had, I had gotten wind right before the interview started that during Kevin's 30th birthday party, he had his 30th birthday last week, had a big party in New York City to celebrate. And during that party, uh, one of his friends had called several of their other mutual friends who have a claim in the sporting and entertainment worlds and asked them to tape happy birthday messages to Kevin. And then he decided to play that video at the party. One of those folks was the 44th president of the United States, Barack Obama. 
And I found out about this just before the interview. Well, of course, I had to ask about it, right, Travis? I had to. Well, I've got a question. How, when you like, we you reach out to people. Usually, you probably just have their phone number, their agent. How do you go about reaching out to get the former president of the United States? Well, I don't really know because I don't have that kind of juice. <laughs> I don't have that kind of juice. Um, but uh, this one friend of Kevin's reached out to President Obama, and President Obama sent a video saying "Happy Birthday" to Kevin. Well, I wanted to know what he said. And I wanted to know how Kevin reacted when he saw this, because it was a surprise. And I just want to read a, sh- a short passage of what Kevin said to me about his reaction. We got into it about you know how he reacted when he saw it, and Kevin said he just lost it. He couldn't believe that it actually happened, that Barack Obama was wishing him a happy birthday. But then I followed up when Kevin finished his thoughts on the fact that it actually happened with this. I said, Kevin, what would little KD from D.C. have thought that the President of the United States acknowledged him on his birthday? It doesn't get bigger than that. And I love what Kevin said. This is what he said to me. Quote, you know, Marty, I grew up 15 minutes right off of Pennsylvania Avenue. I rode on that street my whole life, and that leads right to the White House. I never even saw the White House. I never even been to the White House until a couple years ago. That shows how far I thought that reach was as a kid. You know, not even feeling like I could get close to any type of success or stardom or anything in that realm. So to see it then, to what I see now, is amazing. And I'm just so grateful for everything. That answer, Travis, told me so much. He grew up 15 minutes down Pennsylvania Avenue from the White House, and he never even saw it until he won a world championship with the Golden State Warriors and went to visit the White House. That is unbelievable, right? It's a so close but so far juxtaposition about how far he has come as a human being and thereby how far his mo- he, he's brought his family. And to see the look on his face was very humbling. And I just appreciated the humility that he had about it. It was a wonderful moment for me as a professional and as a human being. It just, look, it was so cool for me. I'm sitting there waiting on him to arrive and waiting on Brianna to arrive. And I'm chatting with Kevin's agent, Rich Kleiman. And we're just getting shots up, man, at Key Arena. We're just shooting. We're just shooting ball, and I'm telling him stories. Everybody always wants to know about Coach Saban. So I was telling stories about, you know, my time with Coach Saban. And and he comes from behind me. I didn't know. I turn around. I, I hear a clap. And I turn around. It's Kevin Durant wanting ball. So I toss him the ball. Dude doesn't miss, Travis. Well, Did you at least hit him with the crisp pass? Oh, dude, I was getting it done. Okay, just now, listen, sure. wait. At that point, I was making shots. At that point, I was making them. He's like, okay, man, all right. But then the cameras turned on later, dude. And I'm telling you, it was weird. I got tight, man. But it was just so fulfilling to me to get to spend time with with uh, folks like them, with Kevin and Brianna. And I can't wait for you guys to see our conversation. It'll air sometime around opening night for the NBA. And we got into the impact, the importance of Seattle as a basketball town. And 
what Kevin remembers about his year there and Brianna, of course, delivering a championship to that town and their mutual respect for one another as players and as people and as friends and Kevin's unyielding push to promote the women's game. They have a huge collective bargaining agreement negotiation coming up in the women's game. And I chatted at length with Brianna and with Kevin about what that should look like. A really fascinating conversation. And their respective ceilings as players. I asked both of them about their friend and what, because you know, it's hard to ask somebody, hey man, how good can you be? Well, that people don't like answering that. They don't really know. So it's fun to ask their peer and their friend what that answer might be. It was just um, such a fulfilling conversation. And I was so blessed to get to have it. So thanks to both of them. And I just can't wait for you guys to see it. I'll just never, Travis, I, I say it often. I'll never get used to having the opportunity to spend that kind of time with these people. Whether that's Adrian Peterson on the Marty Smith's America podcast. Or whether that's Kevin Durant and Brianna Stewart for television. Or... You know, these football coaches that, that McGee and I get to interview on Marty and McGee every week. It's just, it's, I always look at it through a fan prism. I always look at it through a little boy in nowhere, Virginia on a cattle farm prism. And I just can't get used to it, man. I'm, I'm always so humbled in the aftermath that they would even spend that time. So it's killer, man. I hesitate to say those things because like I don't, I don't want to say it so often, <laughs> you know, that people get annoyed by it, but that's the way I feel about it. So it's killer. It's just killer. And speaking of killer, uh, one of the most killer things that I get to experience every week, just like you guys, real time, I don't know what's coming, is the Hillbilly Hotline. Let it go. Words, sayings, or just a way of life? The bowl cut plus the mullet, the bullet. <laughs> This is Hillbillyisms. Dragon here again. Just got a big time W in overtime. Like I said, Super Bowl. Thank you. Baker season. Hillbilly Highline, baby. Woo! <laughs> okay, I'm with you, man. I try to tell all y'all, Baker's my guy. And he is different. He has a different moxie about him. He has a different self-confidence that is born from the chip on his shoulder that is the size of Oklahoma. And when you're a guy that walked on at Texas Tech, and when you're a guy that walked on at Oklahoma, and you go from sixth to first on the depth chart, and you lead your team to the precipice of national championships and to the college football playoff, and you win the Heisman Trophy, and then you become the number one pick in the draft as a guy who was doubted for a long time. There's a reason. I think that's one thing he and Aaron Rodgers have in common. I think that he he has that Aaron Rodgers level tip on his shoulder that I'm never going to settle. I'm never going to settle for what I've done because they're they're fueled by the doubt of others. And I want to I want to just share a story. I could have shared this in the Marty party, I guess, but I, and, and maybe I have. If I have, Travis just shut me down, but I don't think I have. And it needs to be told. 
Baker is a polarizing dude, and we've had him on the Marty Smith America podcast. It was wonderful to get to spend that time with him, too, and learn more about him and the, what he's learned from the mistakes he's made and why he is damn sure determined and, and certain that he's going to be great in the NFL. We were at the Special Olympics, and we were in a meeting, and it was all of the people involved. It was Kevin Nagandi, uh, my buddy who's the sports center anchor, and, of course, he, he hosts – the Saturday ABC College Football Studio Show with Mac Brown and Jonathan Vilma, and uh, one of my best friends in the company. He's a great dude. So I'm in there with with Nagandi and Holly Rowe, uh, who is also wonderful, and Bill Bunnell and Kate Jackson, the the executive level coordinating producers on the Special Olympics project, and we're going through the rundown for the opening ceremonies, which was a live three-and-a-half-hour broadcast on ABC to welcome all of the athletes that qualify for the Special Olympics USA Games. And it's a very, very important broadcast for all of us because these stories are so much more than sport. These stories are the human element, and they are so important. And I was really focused on telling a story about Seth Hanchy. Um, I know I've told that story. Seth was... Uh, a very passionate athlete and had just taken up triathlon. He gets hit by a car, suffers traumatic brain injury, and is, uh, there's no way that he was going to live. Ultimately, he did, and now he's a Special Olympics USA power lifter and is just this unbelievably inspirational dude. And I was going to interview his parents on the opening ceremony and so I was really focused on that as we were going through this rundown, but my interest was piqued when Baker Mayfield came up. And I learned that Baker had agreed to send a video, a cell phone video or a, or a, a produced video over there in, in Cleveland to the athletes from Oklahoma and from Ohio, wishing them well and championing them as athletes and as people and thanking them for the inspiration that they've given him. And that video hadn't shown up. The video hadn't yet been received by the ESPN production group. So I tell Bill and Kate and those guys, look, I can I can reach out to Baker if you want me to. And they were like, sure, if you think it might work, just hit him up. So I sent Baker a text, and I just told him, hey, man, I'm so proud of you. Congratulations again on being the number one pick in the draft. And you are going to go show the world what a great ball player you are. I know it. I have a favor to ask. I'm, I don't know if you're even aware of this request. I'm not sure how it was delivered to you. But, man, I'm at the Special Olympics, and we have a hole in our rundown here in our show that is dedicated kind of to you just offering your appreciation for these athletes from Ohio and Oklahoma. And I was wondering if you would be able to do it. Just take out your cell phone for me. I need like 20 seconds. Just, you know, tell them how awesome they are. Whatever you want to say to these Special Olympics athletes. Travis, it was two minutes later I get a text that says, Dude, I'm so sorry. I'm on it right now. Just give me like five minutes. And within five minutes, I have this great video. Baker was at breakfast. All right? He's at breakfast with his now fiance and his family. And he took the time to do that video. He doesn't have to do that, dude. He could ignore that text. 
He didn't ignore that text. He was so passionate in his message to those athletes. And you think that doesn't matter, those athletes? Come on, man. These are athletes who've been told their whole life, you can't, you won't, you'll never. And now you got the number one pick in the draft and the Heisman Trophy winner telling you, you can and you will. That's forever, son. That's forever. That's why I appreciate Baker Mayfield so much. I'm so proud of him. I could just bust. I, I just uh, I appreciate him as a dude. And I'm so glad he's uh, having a successful start to his NFL career. And trust me, y'all, it's it's going to be there a while because he just has a – his teammate, Carlos Hyde. Go ahead, Travis. From? Yep, go Bucks. I, I'm surprised you didn't just yell it in a, like uh, involuntarily. I'm surprised as soon as I say any Ohio State Buckeye name, you don't just yell, go Bucks. I usually do. It's just a, a just that's how we are born. And you I'm proud of you for you saying go. You leave that one to me this time, didn't you? I, well, yeah, I wanted you to say because you've, I don't think you've ever told me go Bucks. <laughs> so Carlos says after the game, look, Baker Mayfield in his first career start goes and beats the second ranked defense in the league, the, the Baltimore Ravens. And his teammate Carlos Hyde after the game said, look, man, this dude's a beast. He's a natural born winner. He, he's just different. And I agree with that. He's won everywhere he's been. So anyway, uh, I'm 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 uh, rambling, but I just appreciate that Baker did that for those athletes, and uh, it meant a lot to them, and it certainly meant a lot to us at ESPN that he would take that time. So that's it, y'all. That's uh, that's the thirtieth Marty Smith America podcast. I didn't think we'd make it three, <laughs> and so I'm so appreciative of all of the athletes and entertainers and folks that we've had the opportunity to interview on this podcast and i also just want to say thank you to so many people in public whether it's airports restaurants i was down at clemson last week doing a a piece on their quarterback situation and a couple staff members walked up to me i was sitting in the indoor facility there at clemson and a couple staff guys graduate assistants walked up to me and they just went on and on about how much they love the marty smith america podcast and of all the things that they could say, that one meant a lot to me. And tra- Travis, guess what I said to him? Did y'all subscribe? <laughs> yeah, tell him to uh, rate and review too. Subscribe, rate and review. We got a good laugh out of that. But it just meant so much to me, and it means so much to me that all you guys take the time to listen. All my buddies, my best man in my wedding 150 years ago, Corey Reed. He lives down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And uh, he's the smartest dude I know. Big chemical engineer for Exxon Mobil down there. And he listens every single week, man. And he always has great feedback about it. And it's feedback that's made this podcast better. And so it just means a lot to me. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you to Adrian Peterson so much for, in in such a difficult time of year, a busy time of year, for giving us those 24 minutes and all that great insight. Thank you so much to Travis for getting getting me, Adrian Peterson, getting me that opportunity. I'm expecting you, brother, to get us a second half at some point. I'm on it. Thank you so much to Louise for being crazy enough to give us this chance and giving us this platform. Thank you to Smithfield. Smithfield, and I, I have an r- amazing relationship with Smithfield and with some of their other brands, Eckrich. I do the Eckrich Million Dollar throw with Kirk Herbstreit at the national championship. And I love my relationship with Smithfield and the fact that they invested even further in me to do the Marty Smith America podcast with the Bacon for Life campaign. 
It's real easy, guys. All you got to do is go to the grocery store and buy Smithfield bacon. Go to smithfield.com slash bacon for life to enter. You can win bacon for life. So thank you to Smithfield, and I love my relationship with them. And thank you guys for taking the time to listen. You guys heard how funny those calls are. I need more calls on the Hillbilly Hotline. It's easy. From your tailgate, I know you guys are having a blast at these tailgates. We got LSU Georgia this weekend. I want phone calls. LSU Georgia this weekend down there. The Go Tiger Pirates will be getting after it, man. I love that place. And I want y'all to call in, man. Tell me what you're doing. Tell me the crazy mess you see. Tell me funny stories, stuff you see people doing. We love that, and we want to champion it. It is 860-516-1315. Call us, 860-516-1315. And thank you so much to our military members, our service members in the United States of America and all around the world protecting our freedom. We are so blessed to live in the greatest nation on the planet, and it's because of those guys. Thank you for listening. I can't believe we made it to 30. I'm looking forward to 31 already. God bless America. God bless college football. Y'all be good. We'll chat next time around.